Give the band a hand. Amen? Man. I get excited every time we play that song. Amen. Well, we are in the book of Esther. And of course, uh, the Lord pinned this for us. How many of you have been enjoying this? Give me a good amen. That was good. I don't have to say do it again. All right, open your Bibles, if you will, Esther chapter 5 this morning. We are there. We've actually preached five messages. If you don't have a, your notes, uh, raise your hand. One of the guys will give you sermon notes. Anybody needs, a, needs some sermon notes? All right, good. We are looking at this morning, if you'll notice the title, Dead Man's Hands. All right, dead man. How, how many know where this came from? All right. Well, I'm going to show the rest of you a picture of Wild Bill Hickok. All right. Now, what happened was he was in a saloon and his back was to the door, which never happens um, in uh, Deadwood, South Dakota. He was trying to get on the other side of the table. He was playing poker. And the guy would not switch seats with him. So he was right there with his back. All of a sudden, John McCall came in and pulled his gun and shot him in the head and said, that's what you get. And then so Bill Hickok dropped dead. And in his hands, he had aces and eights. And that evolved into what we call today dead man's hands. In other words, it's, it's what you would say an unlucky hand, right? It's kind of superstitious, but actually it's a good hand. But they say it's, it's unlucky to have this, and so they say you can't win with this hand. Now, it's kind of like Esther. Esther has a dead man's hand. She's, she has the deck stacked against her in chapter 5, and she's about ready to approach the king and ask for the life of 15 million Jews. So she has a, an, an impossible task ahead of her. We've all heard uh, or seen the movie um, Mission Impossible. You've seen the movie, all right, with, with Tom Cruise and great movies that just seems to never stop these movies. They just keep going on. But in that is uh, the idea that the mission is literally impossible. And so they always get this message from um, the headquarters and to the secret agent, and, and it always comes up with this one line. Your mission, should you accept? And then, of course, they always accept. Well, that's where we find Esther. Mordecai gives her a challenge and says, you need to approach the king on behalf of these 15 million Jews to see if he would spare them. So let's do a little recap, all right? Just before we jump into chapter 5, verse 1. In the very beginning, chapter 1, we have Xerxes. What do we call him? Jerxes, okay? So we have this king who is really prideful and really high on himself, and he has a six-month partay, all right? A drinking party, so he gets drunk, of course, after a few days, and he wants his wife to parade around for all these men that are there just with the crown on, and you can imagine she said, no, good woman, all right? Well, he got mad, and he vanquished her, if you will, from his presence. And so basically she divorced him. He could never be, she could never be in the presence of the king. That gives you an idea of what kind of a man we're dealing with here. So uh, that takes place. And so chapter two, he's lonely. It's been five years. 
and he's lonely. And so his, 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 his kind of clan there came up with this idea. Let's do a competition and see which one's the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. And we'll choose her to be your wife. And the king, of course, liked that. And so that's when Esther comes into the story. Esther actually is chosen as one of the most beautiful women in the kingdom. Chapter 3, we have Haman coming up. And uh, uh, he rises to the top and uh, basically out of nowhere... And then he decides that he hates the Jews because this Haman, when he goes to the town, the king made a decree that everybody should bow to him. Everybody does bow, except for one man, Mordecai. Mordecai stands. Well, that ruined more, uh, Haman's day, if you will, all right? It just made him angry. So he, he got the king in chapter 4 to approve a law, which is irreversible, all right, to, to kill on March 7th, a year from now, all the Jews in the providence, all right, in the kingdom, in the Persian Medes kingdom, all of them on one day, you kill them. And then if you were happened to be one of the people that got to kill these Jews, you would get all their property, you'd get all their lands, and you'd get everything that they had. I mean, that would be a great incentive to kill these people. You get their properties, their bank accounts, everything. You get their nice cars that they drive and all that good stuff, all right? So you can see what's happened. Chapter 5, that brings us here. Well, Mordecai begs her to go in front of the king. And she says, I can't. I can't go in front of the king because it's lawful that if anybody come before the presence of the king not being invited, it was certain death. All right? So that brings us, if you will, to chapter 5. Now, on your notes, if you'll look here, at the bottom here is where I want you to write these next five things that were against uh, Queen Esther. All right, there's five thoughts here I want you to write down here, and we'll put them on the screen as well. This, is, this shows us that the deck was stacked against her. This is a dead man's hand, if you will, that she is holding. It's the mission impossible, and this tells you why. First of all, number one, she had to go in and speak to the king. Again, it was breaking the law to go to the king's presence if he did not invite you. And not just breaking the law, it was instant death. All right? On both sides of the king, as we're going to see here, it, his, his bodyguards, and they're standing with this long, and you've seen the picture before, they're standing there with these kind of like hatchets, axe in their hands. They got these hoods on, it's all dressed in black, and they're ready, ready to, to do battle with anybody that comes into his presence. Esther comes in, and the, these two could actually come and kill her, chop her head off. You know, that was the penalty if anybody came into the king. So you can see, this is a mission impossible, number one. Number two, she also had to appeal to the king and confess that she was a Jew. She had never told the king for nine years now, or, or excuse me, five years now, that she was a Jew. So she would have to confess up, fess up with that. Not a good thing. Uh, number three, Esther attempted to convince the king to reverse the law. Now, we said from the very beginning that when the king of Persia made a law, it was literally irreversible you could not reverse it so she had to go into the presence of the king first of all get past the death sentence and get his to to reverse this law that haman convinced the king to make uh, number four she had to oppose haman now think about that haman is the second most powerful man in the kingdom and she had to convince the king that he had plotted this out to kill all the jews so the king had to oppose him and go against him. And then number five, to pursue a plan and tell the king that you were doped. You were tricked. 
Now remember, this is a prideful king who just in one sweep decided Vestai, his first wife, wasn't worthy to be the queen just because she said no to one of his commands. All right? And she was wiped off the face. Nobody hears from her again. So here this prideful king, she's got to go in and tell him that you were duped and there was this death sentence that's actually against the queen. And so the queen would literally be put to death. Okay, so she had to do all these impossible things. So I want to begin in verse 1 of chapter 5. Read with me. On the third day of the fast, remember, everybody was fasting for three days to try to get a hold of the, get attention from God to see if he would work some kind of miracle. Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace, just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on the royal throne facing the entrance. All right, so here she was. Now, let's just put ourselves in her, her shoes for a moment. Here she was. She's going to approach the king and there's possible death. And here she's getting dressed. What should I wear? I mean, I've got to dress right, right? I mean, I mean I've got to have the royal robe. I mean, what, what perfume do I use? What shoes do I wear to convince this guy to let me have my way? So she dresses all up and then she's walking to the entrance of his his, his, his room there, and you can just imagine what she's thinking. This is possibly the last time that I ever get to wear these robes. This is possibly the last time I ever get to walk in these hallways. This is the last time possibly that I ever get to approach the king. Now, just jump into the story and get your mind wrapped around what's actually taking place. And so she approaches the king in verse 1. Look at verse 2. When he, the king, saw Esther... Standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out, held out his golden scepter to her. Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. All right, so here she is. She comes up and prays God. There's no head chopping off. He literally welcomes her to his presence. And so she reaches out and touches. So there's, a, there's the first major hurdle is accomplished. Amen? She gets in the inner court. She gets past the guards, and now she's got to go through the other things to convince this king to let these 15 million Jews go free. All right, then notice what he says. Then the king said to her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? He gets right to the point. Now, Esther does something different. I will, of course, he goes, I'll give you up to half of the kingdom. Now, that kind of makes you think that that he's going to say okay to her request, right? Half the kingdom. Now, he just throws this out random. He's not really going to give her half the kingdom, but the kings always say this when they really like the person and that they're going to give them uh, what they want. Verse 4, Esther replies, If it please the king, let king, the king and Haman come today to a banquet that I prepared for him. Did she chicken out? She didn't go to prepare a, a banquet. But I think she's using a little wisdom here, don't you think? Instead of coming into the king and saying, this is what I want, she, she eases into the request. Kind of wisdom. I, I think sometimes women do a good job at this. Don't you think? I mean, my girls, when they were home, if mom wanted to convince me, she would have the girls come up to me 
and they would bat their eyes. And they had this beautiful smile. Now, the guys come up and bat their eyes, and I'd bat them, right? But when the girls came up, it was just like I melted. Any men like here? Women, women just know how to get a yes out of a man, right? With the food and with, with you, you walk in the house and that, I mean, it's your favorite meal. Then you know something's up, right? All right? Or if you get up and you walk in the, in the family room and he goes, Honey, I love you so much. You say, What's up? What do you want? All right? So this is, the, this is where she was. And she's literally, when he says half the kingdom, it's just throwing out the phrase. All right? Then let's go back to our scripture. Look at the next verse. Okay? So she's wanting to wine and dine him here. Now, the wine and dine is not what you think. It's not a banquet with food. Now, there, there are some wine and cheese and some fruit possibly there, okay? But it's mainly wine. Why, why, does, she use, why does she use wine? Because <laughs> she is really smart, isn't she? We know this king, right? I mean, this is a king that loves to drink. This, this guy loves to throw a party. And so here she has this wine. I don't know what it says. Um... So she's giving the king wine, and then again he says, tell me what you really want. This is when they're sitting there drinking the wine. What is your request? I mean, he's just, he just keeps, I, I know you want something because, I mean, you broke the law to come to me. See that? You broke, so the king understands there's something really important here. So he's trying to get it out of, her, out of her as they're sitting around drinking. Notice what Esther says again the second time. Esther replied, Instead of coming right to the point, I need you to give me your answer on delivering the Jews. He says this, this is my request and deepest wish. Verse 8, if I have found favor with the king, and if it please the king to grant me my request, what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet. It's the second banquet. I mean, what is this? So he invites her to a banquet this time. I mean, it's going to be fantastic. All right. So now we jump out of Esther's skin and the king. Now we jump into Haman. Look at verse 9. All right. Now we're just going to kind of go into the story. Verse 9, Haman was a happy man and he, when he left the banquet, as he left the banquet. So the word happy here means glee. Anybody here ever been gleeful? Anybody ever been glee? How about, how about just delight. I mean, just full of delight. Haman walks out of here. I'm the man. I mean, that's what he's saying. He said, I be the man. All right. He's excited here. And, uh, but then something happens. So the verse sentence of nine, he left a happy man. But when he saw Mordecai sitting at the palace gate, not standing, nor trembling because mm, Haman is walking by. Uh, you know, he, he, he just acts like no one's important going by. And Haman becomes furious again. However, he restrained himself and went home. When Haman gathered together his friends and Zeresh, his wife, and boasted to them about his great wealth, his many children, and he bragged about the honors that the king gave him. So, so he's devastated 
Okay, just follow. He's excited, then he's devastated. So he brings his friends over and he begins to brag about all his great possessions and he brags about how many children he has. He's got 10 boys. He's bragging about that. And then he goes on to the next couple of verses. He brags the fact that I'm the only one that the queen's invited. I be the only one in the entire kingdom that the queen is inviting to this banquet. What's he doing? And then he says this, verse 13. Then he added, this is all worth nothing. He begins to brag about all he has. Basically, he does have everything. Everything this world could offer, he has it, except for this one stinking man that will not bow to him. So, who cares? He cares. Okay? And he says, all of this that I have is nothing as long as I see Mordecai, the Jew, just sitting there at the palace gate. This is, now listen very carefully. We're going to get to the applications here in a moment, what, this, what we can draw out of this. But one of the things we see here, this is how the world handles a bruised ego. This is how people handle when they're hurt. This is how the world handles when they're offended. They, they, have, they have no God that they can take these things to. So this is how they handle it. And sometimes, guys, listen very carefully. This is exactly what we do in the church. When we get offended, and he's offended over Mordecai, all right, majorly offended, we begin to look at the positive things in our lives. We gather around our friends, and we begin, now this is nauseating, okay? We, we begin to look at, and, and, and our friends come over and say, hey, Tim, listen, look at all the stuff you got going for you. You got, you, you got the world by the tail. When, when we're discouraged, people are telling that to encourage us and lift us up. That's sometimes how we handle it, but it doesn't work. Listen to what his friends come up with. Okay, we're going to bypass that. But so, so basically they say, this is what we want you to kill Mordecai. After you kill him, then notice what it says. When this is all done, then you can go on your merry way to the banquet. <laughs> we think if we handle our problems and our offenses that everything's going to be okay. It's not. Okay? As we're going to see. Another thing, just before we we get into the application and what we can draw for our lives out of this, another thing is, look at all that he had. And it never brought him true happiness. Right? He had it all. He could have walked by and saw Mordecai and say, poor Mordecai, you're an idiot. I mean, look what I got and look what you got. But instead, he literally was devastated over Mordecai's not bowing. Instead of rejoicing what God's done in his life. His focus was off. Would you you agree? Completely off. And sometimes... Our focus as well is off. And that's when we get ourselves in this kind of trouble. Where you got, I mean, God is blessed, 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 blessed. But you look at this one thing that God's going to help you to grow in. And that's your only focus. And you're discouraged. And you're defeated because of this one single area. Can I hear an amen? We all have done that. 
All right, so let's, let's look at a couple of things. What can we draw to this chapter? Next week, we're going to look at chapter 6, and we're going to look at chapter 7. We've got to combine them because Christmas is upon us. All right? So we've got to switch to the birth of the Son. But for today, what can we draw out of that simple story that we just heard? Look at your notes. Number one, okay? Millions of people depended on Esther's approach to the king. Right? 15 million Jews depended on this movement of her going to the king and getting the king's approval of her presence and literally granting her her request. All right? 15 million. Now, let's bring it down to today. Let's look, put Hebrews chapter 4 on the screen for you. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, 14, 15 to 16. Look what God promises you and me. All right. We don't have a king Xerxes or Jerxes that we have to convince to hear our cries or wait till he holds out his golden scepter to say, come to me, Fleener. And if you just dress perfect and you smell wonderful and you cook the right foods, I'm going to say yes. We don't have a, a high priest like that. Look at the high priest we have. Now, this is talking about Jesus. So then, since we have this great high priest who, who has entered into heaven, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, all right, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Then he describes what we believe. This high priest is ours, un, this high priest of ours understands our weakness. Now, now this translation is a little weak. King James says that our, this high priest is touched, is moved with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, when we go through a difficult time, our God, our high priest, feels it. He identifies with our pain. Isn't that a great God to go to? He understands because he's been there, yet it says without sin. That's a fantastic. So no matter what I go through, I always have somebody that understands. So not only does he say, as we see in this next verse, come boldly, but he says come boldly and I will literally understand and I'm touched. So then he says, come, let us, let, let us come boldly. That's a command. So it's not like the, the king of Xerxes where it's been 30 days since he's seen the queen. All right? Now, that's not a good thing. But sometimes <laughs> that's how long it takes us to really go to the Lord. Amen? We get so, I mean, is it not true that we are so busy? He's the last one. You know I'm right, because I do it. All right? Let's come boldly to the throne of grace that we may be able to receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's kind of Fleener version right through there, all right? The point is simply this. We have a God that wants us to come to his throne, not sheepish, boldly. And he understands and feels what we're feeling when we come to him with these hurts and these offenses. And he begs us to come. Look at Jeremiah 33.3. King James says, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that you've never seen before. Think about that. That you've never ever come to me and I will answer thee. That's, I'm just trying to draw the parallel between King Xerxes and our God. The parallel, the difference. 
He wants us to come. And when we come, some tremendous things are going to happen. So here's my question to you. It's right there on your notes, okay? Who is depending on you to approach the king? Who in your life, your family, needs the power of God demonstrated in their life? She was able to go to the king, and and the end of the story, she saves 15 million Jews. We have this God that says, you can come, and man, I'll I'll understand, I'll hear you, I'll, I'll be touched, I'll be moved, and I will answer thee and show you things you never even dreamed of. That's the God. He pleads with us, come. And we sheepishly, I don't know if I can ask for that. I just don't know. Who needs you to approach the king for them. Give you a couple examples of this. Well, we've had in our church, haven't we? We've had people with cancer, and we brought them up here, and we laid hands on them, we prayed for them, and boop, miracle. I think sometimes we forget that. Just in our church alone, we've seen miracle after miracle after miracle of people that had cancer and had problems that God just literally took it from them. I had this one couple in our church a few years ago. Uh, after about seven years of marriage, Phil and Jenny uh, couldn't, get, couldn't get pregnant. And everybody was praying for me. No, no, you know how preachers, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. Just kind of, beep, beep. Anybody like that? You don't just do it right then. Well, I'm outside in my yard one evening and her mother comes by and her mother's crying as she's riding a bike and she's praying for her daughter to have a baby. You know how grandma wants, I want a baby. You know, this, and I'm touched. She stops and she talks to me and she's crying. I cry, you know, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next day, Judy and I get in the car and we go see Phil and Jenny. I say, I'm coming over, we're going to pray about this. So we get this little circle, four of us, you know, and, and we begin to pray. God showed up. Now, I don't mean she just instantly got pregnant. I'm not saying that, okay? (laughs) God showed up. And all of a sudden, we felt his presence, and I began to weep. I mean, tears were just gushing out of my eyes as I'm pleading with God boldly for her to get pregnant. The next five years, she has three boys. Pop, pop, pop. Now, is that just, well, that, that just happened. I think not. Matter of fact, after she was pregnant with a third boy, he came to church once and he said, Preacher, please stop praying. Stop. After he found it was a boy, he wanted me to stop because he wanted a girl. He had his wife. That was enough. That's what God was thinking. My point is this. They needed me. How many people that you know that are not saved? That don't know the king? Their eternity is not a pretty picture. Can everybody agree with that? It's up to us to approach the king, not wait on him to hold out the staff, not to see if he's going to kill us, but to come. Because we know it's his will that none should what? Perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's God's will. So you know when you pray, God's going to move in their life and their circumstances to bring them everything he's got. He's going to put hurdles and hurdles and hurdles as you pray in the way of them going to hell. He's going to do that because it's his will. He just wants us to engage in prayer to bring about his plan. Isn't that good? 
Who in your life needs you to approach the king? How about, how about somebody that's hurting that's actually offended? People in our church, man, I'm, I am so heavy over this one family in our church that got offended. I am, you know, they don't come anymore, you know, it's their choice. But I'm telling you what, the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing even for this message, I, I'm thinking about them and I'm just praying for them. You know, I could be offended. Well, why aren't you coming to church? You don't want to hear me? And my sermon's not good enough? Do I not prepare enough? Am I too open? Am I not sophisticated enough? Right? I should wear suits and ties. Or maybe I, I should wear T-shirts and flip-flops. Skinny jeans. Skinny jeans. Amen, baby. <laughs> I do have a pair of those. I'll wear those next Sunday. <laughs> Who do we know that needs us to approach the king? Write that in your notes. And, and if God lays people on your heart, put them on your prayer list and storm the gates of heaven. Grab a hold of the altar and plead for them to know the Lord to get right with God, to be able to take all their burdens and cast them on Him and have the freedom to get away from all that. Number two, just some things we're trying to draw from this uh, chapter. Number two, forgiveness, unforgiveness takes away our joy. <laughs> He's on cloud nine, one moment. The next moment, He is totally filled with rage. How is that even possible? It was. Let me give you four thoughts about being offended. Four thoughts you need to pin down. Number one, offenses are inevitable. Okay? You're going to be offended. Because we live in a world with people, we're going to offend people, and people are going to offend us. It's going to happen. Okay? There's no getting around it. Some people's personalities offend your type of personality all right you get two people together that are very very bold what do you think is going to happen they're just always going to tell the truth <laughs> amen you're, you're going to get offended so it's inev- you, you're a nice easygoing person and they just walk all over you what do you think is going to happen there's offenses we have a boyfriend and girlfriend that are holding hands right here. I don't know. Are you supposed to be doing it, church? <laughs> I thought Matthew, Mark, and Luke is supposed to be right there. Anyway, one goes to Ozark and one goes to Nixa. And they're always at each other. And I told him yesterday, man, get rid of Ozark. It's all about Nixa. That's the way a man should respond. Can I hear an amen? You know he did? He said, uh, 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 uh. He just didn't know what to do. That was good. It was really good. All right. I got off the track here. Okay, that's because you ain't supposed to be holding hands until you're married. (laughs) All right, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Whatever your mom and dad say, it's fine with me, whatever, okay? Offenses are inevitable. All right, number two. Let's get back on a serious note, all right? Satan intends to use your offenses for our destruction. Satan wants to use offenses to destroy us. The word offense, I, I, I got to look this, up, look, look, looking this up at the beginning of the week, it literally means 
scand- scandal, scandalous. Believe it or not, that's what it means. Well, I, I, I kept digging. It means snare. It means stumbling block. It's the part, now put the, put the picture up here of the, the mousetrap, okay? It's the part that holds the bait. That, that's what, it's referring to the part that holds the bait. That, that's what it's referring to when it, when it comes to offenses. Satan wants to use the offenses to cause us to take the bait. Now, what happens when the the mouse comes and grabs the bait? You know what happens. They get caught. And if it doesn't kill them, they sit there and they wiggle. You get the picture. (laughs) Some women go, (laughs) I love it. They're getting the picture. All right. I drew that out for one reason, so that you could get the picture. Satan wants to trap you and just get you wiggling in this offense. And all you can, now, now you've been here, so you know what I'm saying. You've been here where you just, that's all you think about. You try to get away from it, but you're always back. You lay back, and when there's ever this quiet moment, you're back to that personal hurting, that personal offending you, and that person hurting you. Am I right? Satan wants to draw us away from God, and he wants us to quit walking with God, quit storming his goals for, doors and, and gates, and get focused on our offenses and the people that hurt us and the people that cause us pain. So here's the idea. Whenever an offense happens, understand just this one phrase come in your mind every single time. Don't take the bait. Understand that this offense, Satan's trying to use it to destroy us. So when we sense that, and we're always thinking about it, just simply say this in your mind. Don't take the bait. Church, can I hear you say it with me? Here we go. Ready? Do it all together. Don't take the bait. Every time. Now, every day, even your, your spouse. I send my wife a lot. You know, because I'm, I'm this guy, whatever. Anybody like that? Just, you don't think, you just. Anybody like that? Come on. There's several of you like that. I know you are. Okay, so you say things, you do things. Amen, back there. Amen. Okay, husband's going. <laughs> All right, so, so, we, so we're always getting, the, the key is, just remember, Satan wants to use it to, to draw you and pull you away from God, from following him, from being serious about the Lord and your relationship with him. He wants you to pull you back to destroy you so that you have no freedom, that you're entrapped with this offense. Number three, God intends to use this offense for your good. So that you can grow by it. So you can learn from it. And that brings us to the fourth thing. Being offended is a choice. It really is a choice. So the choice here that we want to grab a hold of is don't be offended. Now, I'm, I got a few moments, so I'm going to give you an exa- examples of this. How many want some Examples. So we can just, just draw, draw, draw a picture because we don't want to use your life, right? I mean, that, that's not, we want to use my life, no. We have this guy, and his name was Andy. Good guy. Hadn't been to church in years. Comes to our church, falls in love with our church. Not this one. This was a couple of churches ago. And uh, loves our church and hadn't been to church in years, but he, 
He loved the music. He loved the freedom. He, he just, the legalism stuff just kind of put a bad taste in his mouth. So, so Andy's just on fire. He's loving our church. He, he actually, run, he's kind of a maintenance man running around doing maintenance work. Uh, and, and so then he w- works up in the sound system. So I'm telling, I'm telling, I said, Andy, go out. And I, there's a bunch of people outside. The service is important. We're getting ready to show this video somewhere. I said, go grab everybody and tell them, come in. So he goes around there, and he's telling everybody, come in. Well, then the, the head deacon is out there. Talk about deacons. That's kind of not down in deacons. I don't know if you're a deacon here or not, but, you know, so this head deacon was out there. And Andy had a problem with a job at that time. Great worker, but he was struggling about getting a good job. And so Andy's trying, hey, Pastor, Pastor wants everybody to get in here. So the guy looked at him and said something snarky about, hopefully they don't listen to this message. <laughs> or maybe they should listen to it, right? Okay. So the, the deacon said something snarky about him not having a job as he's trying to corral. And I mean, it was, it was mean. It was wrong. It was ungodly. Major. Instead of doing what we talked about before, storming heaven's gates for Andy to get the perfect job that fits perfect, he brought, no way did he do that. Instead, he just jabbed him. Andy told me about it. We talked for a couple of weeks. Never came to church again. Don't get me wrong, the deacon was gone too. All right? He was gone and he left the church after what, the way we handled it. He's gone. Okay? Then, so, so my point is this. Andy took the bait. Took him out of church. Took him away from God. To this day, he's not in church. Well, at least for the last several months, he's not been in church. His boy goes to church, but his dad does not. It devastated him. Because he never learned this wonderful principle that Satan wants to use that deacon and his fleshly moment to destroy Andy's spiritual walk. And it happened. Let's let's do another one. Let's do a Bible one. How about the prodigal son? This is a good one and a bad one. The prodigal son comes to his father and says, of course, you know the whole story. Give me half of all my goods. And so the father says, okay. So he divides up his living uh, up to half. Now, this guy had worked his entire life for all that he had. Am I right? Tired life. Entire life. The boy takes half of it just like that. Now, you would think the father would be offended, right? How many of you, when your kids don't pay you back, you get offended? (laughs) Well, this guy was half. The guy never got offended. At least it doesn't seem that way in the story. Instead, the father's walking to the, up the hill and he's looking for his son, longing for him to return. And because there was no offense in his heart, he, the reason he didn't have no offense in his heart because he loved the son. And when you love somebody else and they offend you, it's easy to get over. Just a little plug there. Love somebody else more than yourself. And offense is a lot harder to hang on to with somebody you love. So he, he never was offended because when the son came back, which he knew he was because he kept going back to that hill looking. When his son came, he ran out and grabbed him and hugged him and kissed him. Listen, because he didn't take the bait, he was able to have a party. There was singing. There was dancing. There was loud music and there was great joy. 
because there's no offense. Now, did you, did you know the description? That's what the Bible says. Joy. All right. Rejoicing, singing, dancing. I mean, because he, he was able to have all this wonderful, what we call joyous, abundant life that we're all longing for. And we can have it. Jesus said we can. Life and abundant life. Okay, that's what we've been talking about. For two years, the father had it because he wasn't, he didn't take the bait. However, the older brother did take the bait. The same situation, the older brother was offended. And because he was offended, he was full of rage, full of anger. He didn't get to party. He didn't get to sing. He didn't get to dance. He didn't have this great joy in his heart. He was just full of anger because the son had been squandering everything, got the fatted calf, got the party. And what did he say? I didn't get the fatted calf. Doesn't it sound like Haman? You got everything, but you don't have the fatted calf. One guy that won't bow. Listen, the whole point is don't take the bait. That's what Satan wants you to do. He wants you to be offended. He wants you to be upset. So listen, if there's people in your life that you've already taken the bait and you know you have, we've all been offended. We all struggle. You know, you walk into that room, you haven't seen this person for months. You walk in a room and there they are. A sign of unforgiveness, a sign of bitterness is how you feel at that moment where you wanted to go the other direction. I mean, that, that agitation that anger, that remembering of exactly what they did. So two things this morning as we close. Two things. Number one, who needs you to approach the throne but them? Who needs you? I say it all the time. I can't afford to be in a habitual sin in my life because my kids... My grandkids, real life church, I need God to consistently show me my sin so I can deal with it because my prayers need to be answered. There's so many people's lives that are dependent on my coming to the king. The same is true with you. I'm no different than you. We all have those people in our lives. So if you're here this morning, you need to grab a hold of this thought. Who? Write it down. Secondly, if you're dealing with unforgiveness and you're dealing with those offenses, okay, how you handle it, don't take the bait, but if you've already taken the bait, you need to say, God, I choose to release them of everything they owe me. I choose to forgive them. I'm choosing today to let that offense. I'm writing off what they owe me. They owe me nothing. So if you're here this morning, you're dealing with either one of these. God's touched your heart. We're going to just have a, a, a short time up here as Corey plays this or, or whatever he's doing up here, okay? As he's doing this, okay, this is your opportunity. Okay, let's, so let's all stand, have our heads bowed just for a moment. Everybody stand, heads bowed. This is where, this is where the application becomes real. This is where we call the rubber meets the road, all right? So let's bow our heads, close our eyes. If you want to come this morning and just pray about somebody in your life that God...
put on your heart? Or you want to come this morning and, and just say, God, I'm releasing. Or you want to come and say, God, use this offense to help me grow and not to my destruction. Right now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. As Corey plays, you need to come forward and you need to pray. Why don't you come right now? Don't hesitate. Just step out and come and do business with the Lord. Right now, will you come? Every head's bowed, every eye closed, not looking around. You don't have to come forward. You can do it right there in your chair. But man, that stepping forward and doing this is so powerful. Why don't you come right now? Why don't you come? This is you doing business with God. This is real stuff. This is life-changing stuff. Will you come? Will you come? Folks are coming. How about you? Not going to tarry, but as long as people are praying, why don't you come? Finally say to Satan, you're done ruling my life. You're done dictating my feelings, my thoughts, and my emotions, my spiritual walk. You're done. Why don't you come this morning? Just step out. Father, we come to you this morning. We just want to say how much we love you. Father, we, we, we really are enjoying your words to us this morning and all these last five weeks. You're speaking directly to our hearts, and we praise you for that, Lord. We thank you that you're showing up and you're speaking to our hearts and our lives. We pray now that when we dismiss today, that we would, we would continue to ponder your truths and your words, especially in the area that you spoke to us. And Father, if there's anyone here who's never trusted your son as their savior, they've never trusted in the blood that he shed as the payment for their sin, Father, I pray for them this morning that they would make that decision before it's eternally too late. And we'll give you the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. All right, we're going to sing one more song. We're going to sing that one song that I love so much. So they're going to sing it. And as they sing it, have the ushers come and take the offering place. Now, don't forget, as they're getting ready, there's packets of 10 of these back there. We really, seriously, there's no advertisement. So every single person needs to take a packet and ask God to lay on your heart. People that need some time alone, a date, or just Christmas shopping or whatever, and then you have the guts to step out and ask them. Okay, ushers, go right ahead, take the offering. Guys, you're on.